Welcome back to Keeping It Current. It's an absolute pleasure to be back for a second season. This we, this season will feature eight episodes that centre on the biggest talking points in politics at the moment. This week we're talking about electoral systems. This week's special guest is pie chart enthusiast Lydia Richardson. And last but not least, we're joined by our brand new political analyst. Oh, uh, that, that's them now, okay. Hello? Where in the name of keeping it current are you? Stuck in traffic? This is shocking and it's really poor on your behalf. You do realise we're calling the show right now. Well, where the hell are you then? London? You're officially sacked. Your P45 is on its way. Good riddance. Mr Blobby, what a letdown. Why would I ever think that he'd have anything to say anyway? Well, guys, that's the end of the show. Thanks to, well, nobody. Next week we're joined by, I don't know, Homer Simpson, Bugs Bunny and Mr Bean. That ship has sailed, and why would I ask him back to return? I, he's the most incompetent man on planet Earth. The amount of times he asked for a pay rise, that man! But you don't pay anything anyway. Shut up. I really, I thought his political analysis was brilliant. Okay, I'll ask Jacob Reed. Jacob, it's me. I need you for the show. <laughs> right now. Thank you, and, and you are always at the top of the list. Please welcome back, Jacob Reed. Ah, oh, Thomas, it's a pleasure to be back, you know. Uh, I missed it during my Christmas break, but it was never in doubt that I would return, that you would ask me again. And you, I, I thank you for doing this, man. Yes, you are always my number one choice for the job. Your return to the position of political analyst was never in doubt. I'm glad, and I hope I can have a pay rise this season as well, as keeping it current goes from strength to strength. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's quite a debatable one, because we, I can't afford to give you two Jaffa cakes instead of the usual one, you know? Okay, let's get cracking then. First, it's time to talk about First Past the Post. The current electoral system used in the UK is First Past the Post. It's coming for much criticism as it is not proportional as a party is able to win a majority in the House of Commons without gaining a majority of the votes. Jacob, does this show that you don't necessarily have to be the most popular to win an election in the UK? I mean, it's an interesting question because you think about it. You think about how do you win an election? Well, you, you know, you get a majority of votes. But really, that isn't the case. If you look at the minute, the Conservatives got a smidgen over 40% of the vote. And that was really quite high. Go back to Labour in 2005, and they formed a government with a majority of 60, so considerably more than the current government, with only 35% of a vote. Um, it, it, it's a tricky thing to say um, you don't need to be the most popular, because I think you, you would struggle looking back in British history to find an example where a party um, got fewer votes and more seats. But there is an example, 1951 and February 1974. So it does happen. Most of the time, uh, though, it is a case that a party with the most votes forms a majority or forms a coalition, as it was in 2010, but certainly not a party, not the party with a majority, because, frankly, that, that doesn't exist. A party hasn't got, in, uh, in the post-war period, over 50% of the votes. Okay, the first path to post system has been known to give the UK stable governments over the past few years and has given us prime ministers that have stayed in power for longer than 10 years. Jacob, do you think that first past the post doesn't give the opposition parties the chance to get back into power at the first time of asking? I mean, that's an interesting question because... Um, Pro proponents of first-past-the-post say, yes, it does deliver strong and stable governments, to paraphrase or to quote Theresa May. Um, and what that's in reference to um, is the fact that 
um, it produces almost always single party governments, which means you don't have splits between two coalition partners. You know, they have one agenda, they're united, they can ram through their reforms, which the argument goes wouldn't be possible under a coalition system um, or something like that. But it's worth pointing out, Thomas, that in the past three elections, two of them have resulted in a hung parliament, and certainly at the minute it's not delivering strong and stable governments. Um, to answer your question about uh, giving the opposition parties a chance, um, if you look at, for example, Germany, they have an electoral system which is more proportionate, as I think we'll go on to later. Um, and, you know, Angela Merkel has been in, in, in charge for donkeys, you know, longer than Thatcher and Blair <laughs> ever were, and really she's been with the same coalition partners. But you've got to understand that she's been at the top with a somewhat diluted power. She was always dependent on her coalition partners. They are the kingmakers as such. So if we change to a proportional system, would, um, you know, would, would the part government, um, party and government be changing every election? I'm not sure, but it certainly, uh, you know, disadvantages for smaller parties. Yeah, so first past the post is praised for being very easy to understand. So do you think that this gives it the upper hand if the question of electoral reform is put to the public in the future? Um, I mean, yeah, that's something people say, you know, at a time when politics is very polarised and there is increasing political disillusionment, being able to turn up and put one X in one box and then go off and, you know, have tea with a wife or whatever, you know, that is important. But equally, um, the, some of the alternatives, you know, you've got to rank, uh, rank two people, you've got to rank more, you can rank however many you want. And initially, it seems that uh, that takes more effort, you've got to know all of the candidates. But if you look at places like Australia, where you have to rank people, and yet they have compulsory voting, so that they manage, and there's no reason I don't think um, we would manage. Although, you talk about the question of electoral reform being put to the public. And of course, the question of electoral reform has very recently been put to the public in 2011. And one of the key arguments um, in favour of not changing anything was that it would overcomplicate things. And that was actually, if I can just go off on a little tangent, that referendum was really interesting because after the expenses scandal of 2009, people were absolutely fed up, fed up, fed up of politics and there was a deep hunger for change. Going into the 2010 election, Labour, the Tories and the Lib Dems all promised great sweeping political reform. A year later, there was a promised refer referendum. There was, there was a tiny turnout and people voted overwhelmingly against reform. So that was a very in interesting question. Um, but in terms of, yes, it's an X in a box, which is easy, which was one of the reasons why people voted for First Past the Post in 2011. Yes, uh, thank you for the repetition of Fed Up and banging the table as now we, we've got hardly any of the table left. You've just gone... You know, that's what happens when you've got guns like mine, Thomas. Oh, yeah, OK, OK. Uh, let's go back on topic. Now it's time to talk about the alternative vote. Alternative vote is an electoral system that the Labour Party and the Lib Dems use for their leadership elections. This system is when the voter gives their rank order and the candidate with the lowest amount of first preferences is knocked out. Then the second preferences from the people who voted for the eliminated candidate from the first preferences are added to the votes of the first preferences from the candidates that are still left. And this is repeated until there are two left and whoever has the most votes wins. Jacob, can you outline the positives and the negatives of the alternative vote system? <laughs> well, Thomas, I can certainly try, although this is about the fourth, fourth take and I've kept on interrupting you incorrectly, uh, but I will certainly try. Um, so basically, um, there are two things of this system that are very similar to first past the post, two positives. So first of all, this will, alternative vote, will give you a single party government, most likely, and so proponents will say that gives you a stable government, able to pass uh, important legislation in their eyes. It also retains 
into the MP constituency link. So you're sitting in Penrith, you vote using AV, and you're electing a member to represent you from Penrith. So, you know, if, if you disagree with how your member is voting, you can knock them up and say, I made, I voted for you, um, and, and, and that sort of thing, or if you're having a problem. Uh, in terms of voter choice, um, this, um, yeah, this is an interesting one. So you get to rank order your candidates. First past the post, you get one vote and that's it. Like it or lump it. And that leads to what they call tactical voting. So you think, really, I want to vote for the Lib Dem. There's no chance he's going to get in. I really don't want the Tory to get in. And so I'll vote for the Labour person. And the idea with this is because you can rank them, you know that your first vote will count. But if it's for a candidate who is not going to win, then you have not wasted your vote. Your second preference will still be heard. So, for example, instead of voting Labour, because you want to vote Lib Dem, but you hate Tory, you would vote number one Lib Dem, number two Labour, number three Tory. Um, and so, so that you could vote really how you wanted to, but still your, your voice would be heard on second and, and third votes. Um, in terms of proportionality, this is an interesting one. Um, it's not, basically. It, it's, it's slightly more proportional in that the elected candidate has to have broad support from, so, you know, the winner might be a person with a lot of second preferences. So maybe the, the, the candidate who's elected isn't the most popular on first preferences, but they're broadly acceptable to most people. So that's an advantage. But estimates suggest that under alternative vote, Labour would have got more than three quarters of the seats in the 1997 election. So it certainly isn't more proportional. One final thing I think that should be mentioned, Thomas, is that this is the electoral system that was put to a referendum in 2011. Yes, and uh, we're coming on to that later. Well, actually, now, so there was a referendum on the alternative vote system in 2011 as a result of the coalition agreement between the Conservatives and the Liberal Democrats. There was 68% of people against it, but there was only a turnout of 42%. Jacob, why do you think that this referendum had such a low turnout? I mean, it's a really weird case because, as I was saying before, in the 2010 general election after the 2009 expenses scandal, there was great appetite for political reform. And the reason this referendum came about was because the Lib Dems, a key pledge of theirs was to reform the voting system. They wanted single transferable vote, both Labour and the Tories offered them uh, alternative vote as a sort of compromise and that's how it came about. In terms of why there was such a low turnout, I think kind of a moment had passed, you know, a year doesn't sound like a long time, but many people had moved on. Um, and uh, as well, I think even Nick Clegg, the person who effectively called this referendum, he called it a, quote, miserable little compromise. So, you know, even people really infused by electoral reform couldn't wholeheartedly get behind it. Um, and so maybe, maybe that's why, maybe that's why. Okay, so uh, do you think that the alternative vote system should be used for referendums that are on issues that are far more complex than the usual yes or no questions, like Brexit? Exactly, because, for example, we realise now part of the problem that Theresa May has is people are saying, if you're going to deliver Brexit, what type of pe Brexit did people vote for? Did they vote to leave with no deal? Did they vote to leave with some sort of deal? Do they actually want to stay in the single market and, and, and stay really close to Europe? And it's very possible that a referendum on Europe, instead of a simple in-out, could have been, do you want to leave? Here are three options, rank them. Or do you want to remain? Here are, you know, I don't know, several options, rank them. And I, I think, in a way, some of the problems of now, you know, the question is what type of Brexit should we be delivered? They could have been avoided if, the, if that had been done in the referendum. But equally, you get to a point where there's so many damn options. It's, it's, it's far too confusing for even the most switched on a person to really study them and really effectively rank them. So it could drive down turnout. And actually, you, there is a strong argument to be made saying that 
the more complicated these decisions get, the more they should just be left to the politicians mm. who, you know, we elect them, it's their day job to make these difficult decisions. But it is a very interesting question, and it has actually been proposed for a, you know, the people's vote referendum, if there was a second Brexit referendum, remain, leave with May's deal, or leave with no deal, for example. So an interesting thing to think about, food for thought. Okay, now it's time to talk about the supplementary vote. The supplementary vote is the electoral system used in the London mayoral elections. This system is when the voter gives two preferences when they vote, and it is simply first past the post if a candidate does win a majority. But if nobody wins a majority of votes, the second preferences come to the fore. All candidates are eliminated apart from the top two, and the second preferences votes for the top two, say, for example, if uh, the all the like Green Party, whoever voted second preferences for Labour and Labour is still in, then they get added onto the Labour vote and so on. So, uh, yeah, so and then whoever gets the most votes wins simply. Uh, Jacob, do you think that supplementary vote would work as the electoral system used in general elections and who would it favour? That's an interesting question. I mean, looking at my sheet here, it's used uh, in the elections for Mayor of London, among other places. So, you know, it is used in big elections. I, I mean, it could be scaled up to um, general elections. It has, it's interesting to look at how it has, um, how it's performed in the London mayoral elections, because this is a very similar system to AV. You know, candidates are ranked, and then uh, lower candidates are eliminated and the second preferences redistributed. The difference being, instead of one being ranked at a time, this time all but the top two, if no majority is had, all but the top two are eliminated. And that has, that has several interesting effects. Um, but the problem with it is that effectively it only gives you two votes. And the second vote can be wasted. So in the London mayoral elections in 2016, Sadiq Khan um, won on second preferences. Now, 500,000 people had had the green candidate as her, sec as her second preference, but she'd already been eliminated. So uh, effectively, you do have a smaller voter choice. I think it could work. It's easy to understand. It means that you can't have some Lib Dem who came a distance third in the first round of voting sail through and steal it from the forerunner because they are more broadly acceptable to both sides. I don't see any reason why it couldn't work. I don't think it's the most exciting system in the world, but, you know, good bash, you know. <laughs> OK, so with the supplementary vote, you don't necessarily have to have the most, most votes in the first preferences round. Jacob, does this show that this system has faults as the most popular candidate on first preferences may not win? I mean, it, de it depends how you, how you classify popularity. And if you classify popularity as a person who is the most people's favourite, and yeah, it is possible... Not likely, but it's possible that the person who won the first round won't win the second round. In all five London mayoral elections, the winner of the first round has also won the second round. But it's possible. But equally, there is a strong argument to be made that, you know, these people, um, they're broadly... Um, acceptable. So, you know, they might not be most people's favourite, but most people say, you know what, eh, not my favourite, but that's okay. And that's something you simply don't get on um, first past the post, at least not officially. Obviously, you've got, um, as we've talked about before, the tactical voting. Yes, so one advantage of this system is the fact that it could help eliminate safe seats, as the incumbent of that seat would have to appeal to a broader audience to win and would be in danger if the candidate who had the most second preferences did get into the final two. Then the seat would be in extreme danger, so the incumbent would have to campaign for second preferences, just in case they didn't win a majority. But on the other hand, this could increase the role of tactical voting, as some people may waste their second choice vote so that a certain party doesn't have a chance of winning. Jacob, do you think that certain aspects of the supplementary vote are aimed at benefiting particular parties, like the Liberal Democrats or 
smaller or smaller parties well i mean i i think it would benefit smaller parties because we've got this idea again of you know people being elected who are broadly popular and it stands to reason that if you've got labor on the left and the tories on the right and the Lib Dems, the SNP, in the middle, then those middle ground parties will be broadly acceptable to both Labour people and Conservative people. Whether or not you would say it's benefiting them so much as um, the current system is uh, prejudiced towards them. Um, but, but, but yeah, I, I think, you know, the Lib Dems, obviously they, they pushed forward the AV referendum, which is a very similar idea who, who, who can be most broadly popular. But one thing as well you would have to say is that uh, with the SV, um, you know, Lib Dems could be coming in third up and down the country, broadly popular to people. Unfortunately, they would not, they, they would not win. Um, so perhaps it would be less, uh, less good for them than the alternative voting system. Thomas Ridley, the award-winning host of Keeping Current. Thank you, Jacob Ray, standby analyst. <laughs> now it's time to talk about regional list. Regional list or party list is a proportional system where the amount of votes for a party roughly reflects the amount of seats a party gets. This system also asks you to vote for the party that you want to represent you, not the person. And then the winning parties allocate representatives for your region. Well, the main downfalls of this system is the use of regions, not constituencies. For example, in the European Parliament, our region is Northwest England, and there are eight MEPs for this region. But the likes of Manchester share their MEPs with Little Old Penrith in Cumbria, which has a population that is 34 times smaller than Manchester's. Jacob, does this show that this system will leave smaller pa- places like Penrith in the lurch? Thomas, I think it does. I think it does. Let me say, um, I think it's a bit of a crappy system. I mean, you know, you understand what it's trying to do. Uh, but I, I, Because the, the idea behind this is that, you know, you vote in uh, an area which has enough seats so that they can be allocated proportionally to the amount of votes. And of course, that is one of the big advantages of this. It is proportional, you know. Uh, you're not going to be seeing a government uh, with a healthy majority getting barely a third of the votes. Um, but equally, you know, does that, does that reduce stability? But you, you raise a, you know, the big concern with this is that um, in order to be able to have this proportionality, you have to elect in large areas, in regions. So it's used in the European Parliament elections. We are the Northwest, and yet, uh, you know, there are only eight MPs, and we're lumped in with Manchester. Now, we're based, if you were to introduce this in uh, general elections for Westminster, um, you know, our system is based on representative democracy. That is that we send someone to vote for little old Penrith, you know, to say, hold on a minute, uh, we need better transport in the north. Hold on a minute, um, you know, places are flooding. We, we need to stop global warming. Completely different concerns, perhaps. But Manchester, and if you're getting people lumped in with Manchester, then you've got to, you've got to expect that... that, that, that an individual area's priorities will be diluted. And then you've got the thing as well, you know, Thomas, imagine, imagine that the girls just won't stop pursuing you and you, you know, the police haven't been brilliant about it. And so you want to go to your local MP. Under this system, a local MP could live hundreds of miles away and pronounce Penrith Penrath. Um, that, that's a very legitimate concern. So yeah, I think, I think so. Yeah, okay, so the regional list system also gives smaller parties a chance, unlike the other systems we've already discussed on today's show. For example, in the 2014 European elections, UKIP were the party that claimed the most seats, beating the big two parties, Labour and the Conservatives. UKIP won 24 seats in the European Parliament, that was far clear of the next highest, which was Labour, and UKIP also had the highest share of the vote with 26.6%. Jacob, does this show that a proportional system is a good thing with them giving smaller parties a better chance? Um, yes, I mean, in, in terms of UKIP, um, I think uh, UKIP and the European Parliament elections, it's important 
to note that they didn't suddenly get a, the most seats out of all the parties because of a different electoral system. Uh, if you think people who vote UKIP are ardently anti-Europe and therefore more likely to vote in the European Parliament elections, which have a really quite a low turnout. Um, so, it, you know, in its nature, um, seats are allocated according to votes to make it proportional. Um, but this all depends on the size of the constituency and the number of seats up for grabs. So, for example, in the European Parliament elections in 2014 in the Northwest, the Greens got 7% of the votes, but it wasn't a big enough con constituency to be fully proportional, so they still had 0% of seats. So you need to get bigger and bigger constituencies to make sure it's properly proportional for smaller parties. And then, you know, you get an MP who doesn't even know what, what, what Penrith is apart from, you know, your granny's favourite sitcom. Um, you, so, so, so there you go. Uh, I've never heard of any sitcoms about Penrith. <laughs> <laughs> OK, also, uh, would regional list mean that far left and far right parties will have a much bigger influence in politics? Absolutely. I, I, I mean, um, I have 0.4 disadvantage from my politics notes, which I'll pretend I'm not using. Uh, it says extreme parties can still get representation. You know, in the 2009 European Parliament elections, the BMP got two seats. This is an interesting question because ultimately we live in a democracy and if people vote for these so-called extreme parties, then you say it's democratic that they get in. But under first past the post, and one of the things that some people like about first past the post, is that you can only get, uh, get representation if you have very concentrated support. So in 2015, UKIP got something like 4 million votes. They only got one seat because that's because, um, you know, whilst they had a kind of a broad support, they only had overall support in one area. It keeps keeps the madmen out, and that's something that this system wouldn't do. Thomas Ridley, award-winning host of Keeping It Current. Jacob Rees, standby political analyst of Keeping It Current. You know, you're hurting my feelings when you say that, because you told me that I was your first choice. That's not the first time you had a broken heart. <laughs> 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 you know, uh, if if, if it, you know, children's services are listening, hear this, hear this abuse, and please come save me from a spiral of uh, frets and, and and sadness. That's a bit over the top now, Jacob. Okay, now it's time to talk about the single transferable vote. Single transferable vote, or STV, is a proportional system which is used in elections for the Northern Irish Assembly when there is one. The voter puts the candidates in order of preferences. Votes are counted and a quota is created. If the candidate achieves this quota, uh, and they win a seat. And any surplus votes are redistributed to the other candidates in proportion to the voters' stated preferences. This is down to the fact that there are multi-member constituencies. Then if there are more candidates remaining in the seats, the candidate with the lowest amount of votes is eliminated and their votes are redistributed in proportion to preferences. This continues until there are the same amount of candidates as there are seats in the constituency. Jacob, do you think that... STV could work in general elections? Oh, an interesting question. And, I mean, I, I think the simple answer is that, yes, it could, as you said, Northern Irish Assembly. If I have my facts right, I think in the local Scottish government elections as well. And, and more crucially, you know, on a slightly bigger scale, in uh, the Irish, the Republic of Ireland, general elections. So... Yes, it's an, ele uh, an electoral system that can work in that way. Um, and the Irish absolutely love it. They voted, I think, in two referendums, very overwhelmingly against the government, to keep STV. And one of the reasons why people don't like it and why you would have perhaps expected it to fail in those referendums is because of just how damn complicated it is. It's formulas here and quotas there and redistribution. You know, it's none of this an X in a box and whoever gets the most votes wins. And I think it's worth saying that, you know, at a time of such great political disillusionment, would would it pass for the political elite to change the voting system so that people no longer really know how their vote is being used? That's an interesting question. On the other hand, if it makes it fairer, 
if it means that you know there is a proportional representation but your vote really does matter could it have the other effect um i, I i'm not entirely sure one thing i would also like to say about about stv is that it will of course produce um not necessarily ma uh, majority governments. Yes, we're coming on to that now. We're coming on to that now. STV is an electoral system which results in a lot of coalition governments, as once a candidate achieves the quota, their spare votes are redistributed. Jacob, do you think that the STV system causes unstable governments as a result of there being a higher chance of coalition governments? Well, this is a really important point, and I want to hammer this home, but I want to do so with a clean language, because, you know, uh, viewers at home, listeners at home, this isn't the first take, and I, I, I have apologised for you know, some of the words I chose last time. So let me be clear. In my opinion, not as an analyst, but as a politics enthusiast and someone who has looked at the different systems, I believe it is stupid, stupid to say that, uh, you know, a co coalition government is wrong. I believe it's stupid to say, let me say that again, that a coalition government is a, is a bad thing. Because, you know... Look at the 2010 to 2015 Lib Dem Tory coalition. That was far more stable than, you know, many, many governments have been. And in fact, it had a strong majority when you consider the majority that the coalition had. You know, old Angie Mutti over in the Deutschland, she's been in power for decades. And, they you use know, a different system. Yes, yeah, she has. But that's a coalition. That's a proportional system. And that's a coalition. And finally, I think in this, in this age of such political polarisation where it's us or it's them and it's the enemies or the, you know, the saviors and it's all of this dividing lines and there's no compromise on anything which has led to this, uh, you know, Brexit defeating the Commons by more than 200 votes. You know, I think it's time that parties start to work together. And if that means they have to create coalition agreements and find common ground and if that means they realise that people who didn't vote for their party isn't a dum-dum and it's just a right honourable gentleman with a different opinion, then great. So I absolutely don't buy the argument that these proportional systems are bad because they don't necessarily produce majority governments. It's right that a lot of the time they produce, uh, they produce coalition governments. You've got to bear in mind that first past the post in the past three elections, two of them have been hung parliaments. But yes, they're my thoughts and I hope I didn't say anything too inappropriate. Yes, thank you, Jacob, for that very clean piece of analysis. Yes, uh, dumb dumb is a much better word to use than the words which I may not say live, well, not live on air, but on air. Uh, on the other hand, do you think that this could stop the bickering that is a result of cross-party politics? I mean, parties will always disagree. The reason is because if they agreed, they would be the same party. And it's life that not everyone is going to agree. But, I mean, there are so many things that are cross-party that, um, that don't need to be partisan and that have become partisan. And I would include Brexit in that because Brexit has divided uh, parties within parties as much as, as between them. Yes, so the I think the parties within parties, you know, your far-left Labour, your far-right, your stickers, like... Yeah, and you, you've got your Labour you know. moderates and, you know, the... the Tory rebels in the middle. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, thank you, Jacob, for, as I say, a very clean piece of analysis there. Yes, and uh, Jacob, I can see you're so enthusiastic about coalition governments that the fact that the only reason why Jacob is so enthusiastic about coalition governments is that's the only way he will become a prime minister in the future. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, la I, ladies and gentlemen, I didn't sign up for this sort of abuse. You know? <laughs> I'm not being paid for this. I'm not being paid at all. Oh, shut up, Jacob. Shut up, shut up, shut up. That's why I didn't want him back, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> now it's time to talk about the additional member system. Additional Member System, or AMS, is a hybrid system, a mixture of a proportional system and a majoritarian system. This is a system used for Scottish Parliament elections. The system is a mix of first-past-the-post and regional list, which we discussed earlier in the show. Voters have two ballot papers. The first is one for your local MP and works the way first-past-the-post does. 
On the second ballot paper is a list of parties who want seats in Parliament. Each party releases a list, a, a, list, a list of candidates in advance. A vote for the party is a vote to make more of their list of candidates into MPs. Jacob, do you think that AMS is the closest to a perfect electoral system you can get? Thomas, I do. I, I, I get really quite excited about this. And uh, the, the, the ones we talked about previously... They've either been majoritarian in the form of first-past-the-post alternative vote and supplementary vote, in that um, effectively um, they're not proportional, or they're proportional in the form of regional list and single transferable vote, and you sacrifice the MP constituency link, which I think is something that should be highly valued. But with this, this is a hybrid system. You have the pluralist first-past-the-post and the proportional regional party list. Um, uh, and basically, because you're electing a constituency MP through first post, you retain that MP constituency link. I mean, it's topped up just as the name suggests. It's uh, it's made proportional by kind of floating members of parliament, so to speak, which don't have a constituency. Now, a worry is that this creates a two-tier parliament whereby some MPs represent constituencies and some don't. But you know, so what? Um, if you if you study the scrutiny performed by our parliament, you realise that MPs are far too busy to perform in o o oftentimes proper scrutiny. So I say to you, Thomas Ridley, you know, get some MPs which don't have to do constituency work, get them, lock them in a room and get them to properly analyse our laws. It'll be proportional. This is what is used in Germany. And you know, the Germans have had very stable governments under Mrs. Merkel, mutty as they call her, in the last 15 or so decades. And so, yes, uh, I'm a great fan. And I think, you know, nothing in life is perfect, but it's very good. Sorry. Okay, there are a lot. Uh, do you think this system could possibly mean that some places are overrepresented? Um, I don't think so because you do retain that strong MP constituency link um, in small constituencies, um, and as you do at the minute under first past the post. Okay, so there are lots of pros to this system, such as less wasted votes and more parties gaining representation in Parliament. On the other hand, there can be a conflict between constituency representatives and regional representatives, as well as the fact that constituents could get confused over who to go to if they have a problem. There's a lot of scrutiny of AMS being a compromise. But if you have either proportional or majoritarian, they'll still be complaining from either side. Jacob, do you think that AMS is the way forward when it comes to electoral systems due to it offering something to all parties? Um, I think it is the way forward. I think it's the most perfect or least unperfect system. In terms of how realistic it is that it will come in, you know, a few years ago there was a bash at electoral reform and it failed. And the thing about first past the post, the truth of it is that whilst Labour hate it when they're on it in opposition and the Tories hate it when they're in opposition, they know it gives them sooner or later a strong majority government under a system like this. It's very unlikely that they would ever have a majority government again. They would have to go in coalition. So do I see a way forward for the system being changed in the UK to AMS? No. Do I think it's a good idea? Yes. Okay, so now it's time for this week's special guest interview with Lydia Richardson. Please welcome this week's special guest. It's pie chart enthusiast. Lydia Richardson. Oh, thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So do you think that the UK needs electoral reform? Um, I would say probably so, because at the moment we have the first-past-the-post system, and obviously it's a majoritarian system, so whichever party gets the most votes, that candidate in the area gets into power as the MP and all the other votes can potentially be considered wasted by other mm -hmm. people because if you didn't vote for the person who won your vote's not affecting anyone and I think that just causes problems because you could get like one less vote for a different candidate but none of those votes seem to matter 
all because you didn't vote for the winning one. And I feel we'd be better with a system that kind of allows you to ha have like a neutral ground. Okay, so which electoral system would you like to have if there was a change? Um, probably the supplementary vote system because we mark you mark your first choice and your second choice. And that means that um, obviously if your first choice doesn't get in, second choice does. And hopefully that means between the parties there may be someone who everyone's happy with. So for example, if you had an area where it was nearly 50-50 Conservative and Labour, you might find that the Conservative people wouldn't want a Labour MP, the Labour people wouldn't want a Conservative MP, but they might both want, say, they might both put as their second choice Liberal Democrat or Green Party or mm. somewhere that's more in the middle, and then therefore yeah. hopefully it would keep everyone happier. Yeah, but you only need the, the Liberal Democrat would only win if they get a substantial amount of first amount. Well, yeah, that is true, but... I kind of think we need a system where a supplementary vote, they only take it in if one party doesn't get more than 50%. Yes, yes. Whereas I kind of think we want a system where you take in the second vote into account. I know there are certain systems where you have to order all, all the candidates, but I think having to order like five, six candidates is just confusing. Whereas I think if it was just first choice, second choice, say first choice was worth one vote and second choice was worth the equivalent of almost like half a vote or something then you could add all the points together and just see who wins so do you think that we require a different system to use for referendums after all the brexit confusion um i think so or especially on really big referendum decisions like that so um, if we had beforehand say that when it was a really big constitutional reform like that, perhaps we should set it at like you need say sixty percent for of votes to agree for things to change because obviously the Brexit referendum was such a close split and also I think a lot of referendums are literally they give two choices and a lot of people don't really know but still want to vote. So, for example, Brexit referendum, I kind of feel at the time it was, there wasn't really enough information surrounding it. So I feel there should probably have been a choice of to leave, remain, or to have had another vote after finding out more information, or, like, not completely oh, ruling it like, out. Um, leave and you can get free boss down, Norway deal, uh, things like yeah. that. Yeah, or, or there should have been a, um, a box, say, for leave, but for us to get to vote on how the deal's going to work or there should have been some kind of it shouldn't have literally been a yes or no because well there's just no covers so many options and well yeah because yeah. yes could have been like improve our current relationship with the EU yeah. or become less attached or something like that yeah okay so how did you become interested in politics um well <laughs> it was probably when i started um um, studying politics for a level so um i was going to do history but that wasn't going to work with my options so i started looking at other choices and i saw politics and i thought yeah i'll give it a try but i wasn't really sure and i'm going to be honest at that point i didn't know that much about politics but then after a couple of lessons i found it was actually really interesting and it was something i would actually quite like to learn more about and that now i quite happily enjoy reading about because made me realise how, I kind of realised that I didn't know anywhere near about as much about politics as I wanted to, I and mean, it made me suddenly kind of have a desire to go away and find out more and to read about it, and yeah, I just suddenly found it really interesting, especially with everything that's going on at the moment, there's like no better time to get yeah, interested yeah. in politics. Yeah, no better time than the current, as they say. Keeping so. it current. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, who is your favourite politician then? Oh, that's a hard one. Um, uh, I know you've got a very big soft spot for Peter Cable. Ah, uh, yes, that's a bit of an ongoing joke. I'm not sure if he really is my favourite politician, though. Um, I mean, he's nice, but, you know, I do quite like Tim Farron, actually. Um, because, well, I like the fact, well, several things. He, it was nice to see someone who was kind of fairly local get into quite a big position of leader of the Lib Dems and then I always got the impression he's quite a genuine person and he will say what he thinks and like you know I kind of feel what you see is what you get with him um 
oh, um, I was, there was, um, yeah, there's quite a few MPs I quite like, though. Jo Swinson, when I see her on Question Time, I think she's really good. And um, was it, I've forgotten her name, was it Tulip Sadiq who had yeah. the, um, who had to be wheeled through the, um, I'm to not vote? Quite sure. I'm not quite I sure. think it was her who was um, for the, whether or not they supported the government's um, Brexit deal. I think it was her who was pushed through the wheel, from the wheelchair to vote. And I must, yeah, who was, had to delay her when she was due to have her cesarean. I must say that actually, I didn't know about her before then, but that kind of, even though that was just a few weeks ago, I kind of had a lot of respect for her mm -hmm. for feeling so strongly that she wanted to make her voice heard to do that, so. Yeah. So you're like you're technically a member of the Liberal Democrats, but you you're quite disgruntled with them at the moment. Could you give yeah. us any details on that? So, I became a member of the Liberal Democrats, and then I paid for my membership and everything, and I got the welcome email. And when I was told my welcome pack should come, I think it was something like three to four weeks. And I said if it didn't come after six weeks, to then like get in touch. However, it was. So after like six weeks, I did get in touch. And then, so that was about the start of January because I think I became a member. I think it was partway through, I think it was about halfway through November. So then when I called, I explained the situation and they were just kind of like, well, yeah, sorry, we're just revamping the membership pack. So it's gonna like be until the end of January. And I was just really annoyed that they hadn't let me know because especially as a young person, I kind of feel that... Kind of discourages you, yeah, you from joining a political party. I know the membership card isn't the most important thing. I do know that. But at the same time, that's part of what you've paid for. And you're not getting that. And as a young person, getting your membership card is quite exciting. Yeah, you know, it kind of means you're, like, you're official, you're a Lib Dem now. It's like, yeah, yeah. And it gets you excited about politics. But the thing of having to wait so long, it meant by the time I got it, I mean, I was like, oh, yay, it's finally come. But I was kind of a bit like, oh, well, they couldn't be bothered. Let me know it wasn't going to come on time. And I had to phone up myself. And I was just a bit... Put out, really. So, uh, why did you decide to join the Lib Dems in the first place? Well, when we're learning about political participation in politics and what we can do to further our um, political participation, one of the things that was mentioned was joining a political party. And obviously, um, before the age of 18, you can't vote. And I wanted to be able to get involved in politics mm -hmm. in some way. And I do occasionally sign petitions online and stuff, but I thought that's one way I actually could get involved in politics would be to join a political party. And then when looking at the various options, I'm not really very, I don't really have a very strong political view either way, if that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, either left or right. So, and I wasn't really sure who I would choose because, well, you know, conservatives, with everything that's going on in Bre with Brexit, I'm kind of, losing my faith in mum a bit and then Labour well they keep some being lots of quite shocking reports of things going on within the party I thought the Lib Dems are just kind of some nice centre ground to begin with and just kind of yeah. see I thought it was a good starting point and I could see but well yeah. I don't know if I should <laughs> or not and, you know but I eventually got my membership card about a week ago so you know yeah onwards and upwards <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so, um, thinking about in an ideal world, which probably won't happen, what would be your ideal political party? Oh, oh, that's hard. So, um, I'd want a party that allows... Um, oh, oh, goodness. <laughs> this is a hard question. So, a party... Well, some of the things... I'd want a party that cares about the environment... Um, because I think it's by 2050, they reckon there's going to be more bits of plastic in the sea than um, animals and stuff. And I just find that really worrying. So a party that cares about the environment um, and um, <laughs> allows votes at 16. For the moment, this is sounding a bit like the Green Party, isn't it? <laughs> um, and then, um, but one who also like cares about the NHS and education, but 
this really is sounding like the Green Party. Um, <laughs> so that kind of thing, but obviously the one problem with the Green Party is obviously they've only got one person in the House of Commons, they don't have only much, one really MP. Much influence, really. Yeah, so I kind of think that, like, you know, a party that kind of cares for people, listens to what the people actually have to say, yeah. where there's not lots of internal conflicts, <laughs> um, like a lot of parties that we can see yeah. um, quite if like the members within it were quite diverse because um, and accepting of other people and immigrants and stuff because I think Britain is becoming a much more diverse place um, yeah. I think people need to begin to realise that and accept that and I think that needs to be represented through our political parties as well you know, you're saying about things that, listeners, that people, you know, Theresa May keeps on going bang on about this is the deal, right deal for the British people, but how does she know they haven't voted for this deal in particular? Yeah, that just, it kind of annoys me because I was quite a big supporter of the people's vote, but that was mainly because Brexit got on my nerves a bit, but now I'm kind of, now I realise we're kind of too late to go back on it now we're too far through the process and i think now people think that if we say oh yes we want a people's vote that they're just thinking oh yeah they just want to get out of brexit but it's not necessarily that it's so that the people can have a chance to say what kind of deal they want and yes it might be that well the eu can't give us that deal but at least we could have some kind of say on what we want because mm -hmm. i mean there's it's kind of like People who voted to leave, there's a huge spectrum of what people yeah, wanted from um, leave. Yeah, because there's hard Brexiteers and then you get the softer Brexiteers there. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's the people who want to, like, leave completely and no deal Brexit, mm -hmm. which, I mean, to me, I kind of think that's surely what Brexit means, because to leave the EU while keeping some of the benefits of the EU... Is that really properly like a, like a part-time membership? Yeah, like part -time and to me job. that's not what Brexit means because you're getting parts of the EU but not others. And what if the parts we get of the EU are the parts that the British people wanted to leave because of? And it's just very complicated. But Well, you kind of answered my next question, but, um, well, what's your opinion <coughs> on Brexit? Um, so I kind of feel... That, well, at the time it was the referendum started, I didn't know that much about the EU. Well, obviously I knew it meant free movement and stuff. But, I mean, personally, I'm not really a big fan of change, like what's currently going on that takes a long time to process. Because it might be that it works out for the better many years down the line. But I think there's going to be so many years of political disruption but we don't really need a lot of people didn't really have that strong opinion on the european union until the referendum was talked about like yes politicians did but among the british people i think occasionally mm. something would happen and people would be like oh the eu don't like it and then they'd forget about it for several months until something happened again yes i mean mm. there were some members of the british public yeah, who did have yeah. strong feelings on it but i kind of think I don't really think it was worth going through all this hassle for something that yeah. I kind of think people are just fed up with hearing about now and yeah. don't really care about. So, Because mm. David Cameron did kind of promise this referendum as tried to patch up what, one of the major factors in divisions in the Tory party, didn't he? Yeah, and he kind of did it just to be re-elected, despite the fact he didn't want us to leave. And I kind of think that such a big political... Um, decision shouldn't just be used just to resolve your mm. inner party conflicts and to make yourself look better and to get re-elected mm -hmm. because yeah it's just it just doesn't seem right really okay so now it's time to play political would you rather so i'll give you two politicians and all you have to do is tell me which one you prefer oh. so, are you ready i hope so <laughs> Vince Cable or Tim Farron? Um, Tim Farron. Oh, Vince will be unhappy there. <laughs> oh, I mean, you know, I like him, but Tim Farron, I don't know, I just think he's good. Jeremy Hunt or Michael Gove? Um, that is a hard one because, um, well, hmm, I think we all know why that's a hard one without me having to spout the obvious, but I mean, Probably Jeremy Hunt. I don't know. I I can't choose. They're both 
pretty bad, but I mean, Michael Gove's the one we've got to blame for the current education system, so I can't choose him, so we're just going to have to go with Jeremy Hunt. Uh, Jacob rees or Boris Johnson? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Do I really have to choose one? Um, I mean... Boris Johnson, I wish he could learn that there are certain things that are not appropriate to say. <laughs> then Jacob Rees-Mogg, well, kind of the same probably, but I mean, at least Boris Johnson, he puts a bit of passion when he speaks, doesn't he? So, I mean, oh, oh I can't choose. Okay, we'll go with Boris Johnson. Or me, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Jeremy Corbyn or Gordon Brown? Gordon Brown. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Jeremy Corbyn just gets on my nerves a bit. But. Ed Bowles or Ed Miliband? Ed Miliband. Oh. I think he was, like, okay, really. I think just, like, when he was in charge of Labour, it didn't seem to yeah, be as far left as yeah, it he is Yeah, he kind of got painted as a bit of, like, a caricature, I thought. And mm. I feel like when Ed Miliband was in um, charge of the Labour Party... I kind of feel like Labour and Conservative, I thought there was a bit more middle ground between them, would you say? Whereas Labour now seems to have yeah, gone a lot yeah, further Labour's left. Yeah, Labour's gone to the left with Corbyn. Which, yeah, makes it harder. Uh, Nick Clegg or Charles Kennedy? Um, probably Nick Clegg. Nigel Farage or David Cameron? Oh, David Cameron, definitely David Cameron. <laughs> okay. Philip Hammond or Theresa May? Um, Theresa May, I think, just, you know, well, I mean, yes, she's doing our Brexit deal, but I mean, I think considering the circumstances, I mean, no one else could do a better job, really, so. Margaret Thatcher or Tony Blair? Probably Blair, because, you know, he kind of, when he's at the start of New Labour yeah. anyway, it was all mm. nice and cheery and happy, like, yes, it went a bit downhill, but... yeah. I mean, it was a cheery time for a small time. And Caroline Lucas or Nicholas Sturgeon? Oh, Caroline Lucas, I think. Yeah, she seems good. And, you know, I like the fact that we've got someone in Parliament who cares about the environment. Okay, so that's it for your oh. political Would You Rather. So thank you very much to this week's special guest, Lydia Richardson. Oh, thank you. Now it's time for the return of Caller on the Line. Ooh. Answering in three, At three, two, one. one. Hello there, you've reached Keeping It Current. Hi, this is uh, Keeping It Current, number one fan here. And uh, I was just wondering whether I could ask you a question to do with the current show topic today. Oh yeah, that'd be great, thank you. Uh, could I take a name there, please? It is um, William. And Oh, early, William again? Yeah, I know. Yeah, you, you were on season one, episode two, weren't you? Yeah, I was. Yeah, oh, but I, oh. I can't help you. It's oh, a good show. No, biggest fan, William. Yes. What can I do for yeah. keeping current's biggest fan? I was just wondering what, 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 whether you think that we need to change the electoral system that we use. Um, good question, though, William. I, I think that. Not the electoral system that we could change it up a bit because you know we currently have the majoritarian system which doesn't favour smaller parties. It it gives you get the MP constituency link which is very good. You know uh, Roy Stewart has been uh, commended for doing such a good job here in Paris on the border because he has got a good link with his constituents. But uh, one thing uh, that is a problem with uh, first past the post is that you don't really have that voter choice, you know, because the thing is, if you're going to vote Liberal Democrat and you're in a safe Labour seat, that, that's not a, that's like a wasted vote because they're not going to win, are they? So, yeah, I think we could do, yeah, I think we could do some modif with some modifications, uh, you see, because, like, uh, say, for example, if we went for AMS, you have, you can kind of, like, please both sides a bit, even though it's not fully majoritarian or fully proportional. Uh, I'll uh, ask Jacob Reed to come in on this. Ah, oh, thank you for inviting me in on this. Um, he hello, William, again. Um, I ho hope you're doing well. Um, so, 
Is that good? Good, good. Um, yeah, I agree with Thomas. I think, um, you know, I think the thing is our system works. It works okay. People know how it works. Um, but I definitely think it could be improved, you know, with, with as Thomas was saying, the improved voter choice. And I kind of think we're heading to a kind of a crunch point in our politics when things will just get so polarised and so divided over left v right, Tory v Labour, uh, you know, Remain versus Brexit. And I think something has to give. And I think whatever causes that to happen, after it's happened, there'll be a new era of parties working together. And I think that could be facilitated by a proportional voting system that is proportional and as a result probably would produce coalition governments. That's certainly something I'd like to see. So, is that everything from you today, William? Any other questions? Yeah, yeah that is. That's perfect, thanks. Uh, well do, you, do you have any other uh, plans for the day? Um, yeah, I'm going to go home, you know. I'll go home, yes. Yes, uh, my favourite thing so that, to do. That should be pretty exciting. Have, 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 sleep, yes. have you had a good day at school? Yes, I have. I mean, highlight was obviously seeing you earlier. Oh, oh, oh. You're a charmer as well, William. You know how to woo... The us, so you you have no problems in wooing the ladies. <laughs> oh. Okay, thank you very much, William, for this week's call. Thank you, William. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Now it's time for a summary of this week's show. It's been a great episode, hasn't it, Jacob? Oh, brilliant episode. I, I, I'm so glad to be back after what felt like a long Christmas without keeping it current. Yes, now Peter revealed that Jacob will be returning for the next few weeks until we find a replacement. <laughs> you're, you're, you're just a caretaker. Analytic, if you're just like the caretaker. Keeping well, the seat warm. You know, I'll take what I can get. Okay, next week's episode is on austerity politics. A reminder that you can contact us via keepingitcurrent at outlook.com, all in lowercase, and you can also get in touch via the Facebook page. Sadly, that's the end of this week's show. Thank you to this week's special guest, Lydia Richardson, and thank you, as always, to Jacob Reed. Thank you very much, Thomas, for having me out. I really have enjoyed myself. Be sure to join us next week, where we won't be keeping it cool, but, but we, we will, will be, be keeping, keeping it current. current. Goodbye.